The Hobbit, Chapter 7, Queer Lodgings, Part 1. The next morning, Bilbo woke up with the early sun in his eyes. He jumped up to look at the time and to go and put his kettle on, and found he was not home at all. So he sat down and wished in vain for a wash and a brush. He did not get either, nor tea, nor toast, nor bacon for his breakfast, only cold mutton and rabbit. And after that, he had to get ready for a fresh start. This time, he was allowed to climb onto the eagle's back and cling between its wings. The air rushed over him, and he shut his eyes. The dwarves were crying farewells and promising to repay the Lord of the Eagles if ever they could, as off rose fifteen great birds from the mountain's side. The sun was still close to the eastern edge of things. The morning was cool, and mists were in the valleys and hollows, and twined here and there about the peaks and pinnacles of the hills. Bilbo opened an eye to peep and saw that the birds were already high up, and the world was far away, and the mountains were falling back behind them into the distance. He shut his eyes again and held on tighter. Don't pinch, said his eagle. You need not be frightened like a rabbit, even if you look rather like one. It is a fair morning with little wind. What is finer than flying? Bilbo would have liked to say a warm bath and late breakfast on the lawn afterwards, but he thought it better to say nothing at all and to let go his clutch just a tiny bit. After a good while, the eagles must have seen the point they were making for, even from their great height, for they began to go down, circling round in great spirals. They did this for a long while, and at last the hobbit opened his eyes again. The earth was much nearer, and below them were trees that looked like oaks and elms and wide grasslands, and a river th running through it all, but cropping out of the ground right in the path of the stream which looped itself about it was a great rock, almost a hill of stone, like a last outpost, outpost of the distant mountains, or a huge piece cast miles into the plain by some giant among giants. Quickly now, to the top of this rock, the eagles swooped one by one and set down their passengers. Farewell, they cried, wherever you fare, till your Ares receive you at the journey's end. That is the polite thing to say among eagles. May the wind under your wings bear you where the sun sails and the moon walks, answered Gandalf, who knew the correct reply. And so they parted, and though the Lord of the Eagles became in after days the king of all birds and wore a golden crown, and his fifteen chieftains golden collars made of the gold that the dwarves gave them, Bilbo never saw them again except high and far off in the battle of five armies. But as that comes in at the end of this tale, we will say no more about it just now. There was a flat, flat space on the top of the hill of stone and a well-worn path with many steps leading down it to the river, across which a ford of huge flat stones led to the grassland beyond the stream. There was a little cave, a wholesome one with a pebbly floor at the foot of the steps and near the end of the stony ford. Here the party gathered and discussed what was to be done. I always meant to see you all safe, if possible, over the mountains, said the wizard, and now by good management and good luck I have done it. 
Indeed, we are now a good deal further east than I ever meant to come with you, for after all, this is not my adventure. I may look in on it again before it is all over, but in the meanwhile, I have some other pressing business to attend to. The dwarves groaned and looked most distressed, and Bilbo wept. They had begun to think Gandalf was going to come all the way and would always be there to help them out of difficulties. I am not going to disappear this very instant, said he. I can give you a day or two more. Probably I can help you out of your present plight, and I need a little help myself. We have no food and no baggage and no ponies to ride, and you don't know where you are. Now I can tell you that. You are still some miles north of the path which we would have been following if we had not left the mountain pass in a hurry. Very few people live in these parts, unless they have come here since I was last down this way, which is some years ago. But there is somebody that I know of who lives not far away. That somebody made the steps on the great rock, the Karak, I believe he calls it. He does not come here often, certainly not in the daytime, and it is no good waiting for him. In fact, it would be very dangerous. We must go and find him, and if all goes well at our meeting, I think I shall be off and wish you, like the eagles, farewell wherever you fare. They begged him not to leave them. They offered him dragon gold and silver and jewels, but he would not change his mind. We shall see, we shall see, he said, and I think I have earned already some of your dragon gold when you have got it. After that, they stopped pleading. Then they took off their clothes and bathed in the river, which was shallow and clear and stony at the ford. When they had dried in the sun, which was now strong and warm, they were refreshed, if still sore and a little hungry. Soon they crossed the ford, carrying the hobbit, and then began to march through the long green grass and down the lines of the wide-armed oaks and the tall elms. And why is it called the Karak? asked Bilbo as he went along at the wizard's side. He called it the Karak because Karak is his word for it. He calls things like that Karaks. And this one is the Karak because it is the only one near his home, and he knows it well. Who calls it? Who knows it? The somebody I spoke of, a very great person. You must all be very polite when I introduce you. I shall introduce you slowly, two by two, I think, and you must be careful not to annoy him, or heaven knows what will happen. He can be appalling when he is angry, though he is kind enough, if humored. Still, I warn you, he gets angry easily. The dwarves all gathered round when they heard the wizard talking like this to Bilbo. Is that the person you are ta taking us to now? They asked. Couldn't you find someone more easy-tempered? Hadn't you better explain it all a bit clearer? And so on. Yes, it certainly is. No, I could not. And I was explaining very carefully, answered the wizard crossly. If you must, if you must know more, his name is Bayorn. He is very strong, and he is a skin-changer. What? A furrier? A man that calls rabbits conies when he doesn't turn their skins into squirrels? Asked Bilbo. Good gracious heavens, no, 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 said Gandalf. Don't be a fool, Mr. Baggins, if you can help it. And in the name of all wonder, 
Don't mention the word furrier again as long as you are within a hundred miles of this house, nor rug, cape, tippet, muff, nor any other such unfortunate word. He is a skin changer. He changes his skin. Sometimes he is a huge black bear. Sometimes he is a great, strong, black-haired man with huge arms and a great beard. I cannot tell you much more, though that ought to be enough. Some say that he is a bear descended from the great and ancient bears of the mountains that lived there before the giants came. Others say that he is a man descended from the first men who lived before Smaug, where the other dragons came into this part of the world, and before the goblins came into the hills out of the north. I cannot say, though I fancy the last is the true tale. He is not the sort of person to ask questions of. At any rate, he is under no enchantment but his own. He lives in an oak wood and has a great wooden house, and as a man he keeps cattle and horses, which are nearly as marvelous as himself. They work for him and talk to him. He does not eat them, neither does he hunt or eat wild animals. He keeps hives and hives of great fierce bees and lives most on cream and honey. As a bear he ranges far and wide, I once saw him sitting all alone on top of the carrick at night, watching the moon sinking towards the misty mountains, and I heard him growl in the tongue of bears. The day will come when they will perish, and I shall go back. That is why I believe he once came from the mountains himself. Bilbo and the dwarves had now plenty to think about, and they asked no more questions. They still had a long way to walk before them, up slope, and down Dale they plodded. It grew very hot. Sometimes they rested under the trees, and then Bilbo felt so hungry that he would have eaten acorns if any had been ripe enough yet to have fallen to the ground. It was the middle of the afternoon before they noticed that great patches of flowers had begun to spring up, all the same kinds growing together as if they had been planted. Especially there was clover, waving patches of coxcomb clover and purple clover and wide stretches of short, white, sweet, honey-smelling clover. There was a buzzing and a whirring and a droning in the air. Bees were busy everywhere, and such bees. Bilbo had never seen anything like them. If one was to sting me, he thought, I should swell up as big again as I am. They were bigger than hornets. The drones were bigger than your thumb, a good deal and the bands of yellow on their deep black bodies shone like fiery gold. We are getting near, said Gandalf. We are on the edge of his bee pastures. After a while, they came to a belt of tall and very ancient oaks, and beyond these to a high thorn hedge, through which you could neither see nor scramble. You had better wait here, said the wizard to the dwarves, and when I call or whistle, begin to come after me. You will see the way I go, but only in pairs, mind, about five minutes between each pair of you. Bomber is fattest, and he will do for two. He had better come alone and last. Come on, Mr. Baggins. There is a gate somewhere round this way. And with that, he went off along the hedge, taking the frightened hobbit with him. They soon came to a wooden gate high and broad, beyond which they could see gardens and a cluster of low wooden buildings, some thatched and made of unshaped logs, barns, stables, sheds, and a long wooden house. 
Inside on the southwest side of the great hedge were rows and rows of hives with bell-shaped tops made of straw. The noise of the giant bees flying to and fro and crawling in and out filled all the air. The wizard and the hobbit pushed open the heavy creaking gate and went down a wide track towards the house. Some horses, very sleek and well-groomed, trotted up across the grass and looked at them intently with very intelligent faces. Then off they galloped to the buildings. They have gone to tell him of the arrival of strangers, said Gandalf. Soon they reached a courtyard, three walls of which were formed by the wooden house and its two long wings. In the middle there was lying a great oak trunk with many lopped branches beside it. Standing near was a huge man with a thick black beard and hair and great bare arms and legs with knotted muscles. He was clothed in a tunic of wool down to his knees and was leaning on a large axe. The horses were standing by him with their noses at his shoulder. Ugh, here they are, he said to the horses. They don't look dangerous. You can be off. He laughed a great rolling laugh, put down his axe and came forward. Who are you and what do you want? He asked gruffly, standing in front of them and towering tall above Gandalf. As for Bilbo, he could easily have trotted through his legs without ducking his head to miss the friend fringe of the man's brown tunic. I am Gandalf, said the wizard. Never heard of him, growled the man. And what's this little fellow, he said, stooping down to frown at the hobbit with his bushy black eyebrows. That is Mr. Baggins, a hobbit of good family and unimpeachable reputation, said Gandalf. Bilbo bowed. He had no hat to take off and was painfully conscious of his many missing buttons. I am a wizard, continued Gandalf. I have heard of you, if you have not heard of me, but perhaps you have heard of my good cousin Radagast, who lives near the southern borders of Mirkwood. Yes, not a bad fellow as wizards go, I believe. I used to see him now and again, said Bayorn. Well, now I know who you are, or who you say you are, what do you want? To tell you the truth, we have lost our luggage and nearly lost our way, and are rather in need of help, or at least of advice. I may say we have had a rather bad time with goblins in the mountains. Goblins, said the big man less gruffly. Oh ho, so you've been having trouble with them, have you? What did go near them for? We did not mean to. They surprised us at night in a pass which we had to cross. We were coming out of the lands over west into these countries. It is a long tale. Then you had better come inside and tell me some of it, if it won't take all day, said the man, leading the way through a dark door that opened out of the courtyard into the house. Following him, they found themselves in a wide hall with a fireplace in the middle. Though it was summer, there was a wood fire burning, and the smoke was rising to the blackened rafters in search of a way out through an opening in the roof. They passed through this dim hall, lit only by the fire and the hole above it, and came through another smaller door into a sort of veranda propped on wooden posts made of single tree trunks. It faced south and was still warm and filled with the light of the westering sun, which slanted into it and fell golden on the garden full of flowers that came right up to the steps. 
Here they sat on wooden benches while Gandalf began his tale, and Bilbo swung his dangling legs and looked at the flowers in the garden, wondering what their names could be, as he had never seen half of them before. I was coming over the mountains with a friend or two, said the wizard, or two. I can only see one, and a little one at that, said Balin. Well, to tell you the truth, I did not like to bother you with a lot of us until I found out if you were busy. I will give a call, if I may. Go on, call away. So Gandalf gave a long, shrill whistle, and presently Thorin and Dory came round the house by the garden path and stood bowing low before them. One or three you meant, I see, said Bayorn. But these aren't hobbits. They are dwarves. Thorn Oakenshield at your service. Dory at your service, said the two dwarves, bowing again. I don't need your service, thank you, said Bayorn. But I, ex but I expect you need mine. I am not overfound of dwarves. But if it is true you are Thorin, son of Thrain, son of Thror, I believe, and that your companion is respectable, and that you are enemies of goblins, and are not up to any mischief in my lands. What are you up to, by the way? They are on their way to visit the land of their fathers, away east beyond Mirkwood, put in Gandalf, and it is entirely an accident that we are in your hands at all. We were crossing by the high pass that should have brought us to the road that lies to the south of your country, when we were attacked by the evil goblins, as I was about to tell you. Go on telling then, said Bayorn, who was never very polite. There was a terrible storm. The stone giants were out hurling rocks, and at the head of the pass we took refuge in a cave, the hobbit and I, and several of our companions. Do you call two several? Well, no. As a matter of fact, there were more than two. Where are they? Killed? Eaten? Gone home? Well, no. They don't seem all to have come when I whistled. Shy, I expect. You see, we are very much afraid that we are rather a lot for you to entertain. Go on, whistle again. I am in for a party, it seems. And one or two more won't make much difference, growled Bayorn. Gandalf whistled again. But Nori and Ori were there almost before he had stopped, for if you remember, Gandalf had told them to come in pairs every five minutes. Hello, said Bayorn. You come pretty quick. Where were you hiding? Come on, my jack-in-the-boxes. Nori at your service. Ori at, they began, but Bayorn interrupted them. Thank you. When I want your help, I will ask for it. Sit down and let's get on with this tale, or, or it will be supper time before it is ended. As soon as we were asleep, went on Gandalf, a crack at the back of the cave opened. Goblins came out and grabbed the hobbit and the dwarves and our troop of ponies. Troop of ponies? What were you, a traveling circus? Or were you carrying lots of goods? Or do you always call six a troop? Oh no, as a matter of fact, there were more than six ponies, for there were more than six of us, and well, here are two more. Just at that moment, Balin and Dwalin appeared and bowed so low that their beards swept the stone floor. The big man was frowning at first, but they did their very best to be frightfully polite and kept on nodding and bending and bowing and waving their hoods before their knees in proper dwarf, dwarf fashion till he stopped frowning and burst into a chuckling laugh. They looked so comical. Troop was right, he said, a fine comic one. 
Come in, my merry men, and what are your names? I don't want your service just now, only your names. And then sit down and stop wagging. Balin and Dwalin, they said, not daring to be offended, and sat flopping the floor, looking rather surprised. No, go on again, said Bayorn to the wizard. Where was I? Oh, yes, I was not grabbed. I killed a goblin or two with a flash. Good, growled Bayorn. It is some good being a wizard then and slipped inside the crack before it closed. I followed down into the main hall, which was crowded with goblins. The great goblin was there with thirty or forty armed guards. I thought to myself, even if they were not all chained together, what can a dozen do against so many? A dozen? That's the first time I've heard eight called a dozen. Or have you still got some more jacks that haven't yet come out of their boxes? Well, yes, there seem to be a couple more here now. Feely and Keeley, I believe, said Gandalf, as these two now appeared and stood smiling and bowing. That's enough, said Bayorn. Sit down and be quiet. Now go on, Gandalf. So Gandalf went on with the tale until he came to the fight in the dark, the discovery of the lower gate, and their horror when they found that Mr. Baggins had been mislaid. We counted ourselves and found there was no hobbit. There were only fourteen of us left. Fourteen? That's the first time I've heard one from ten leave fourteen. You mean nine, or else you haven't told me yet all the names of your party. End of part one.